And you're very welcome along. It is the gardening programme here on Midwest Radio. Our final garden programme. Yeah, so I suppose I was thinking we have an extra hour in bed tonight, Porek, but before that we're going to put the garden to bed today on the programme. Yeah, It might be an up time anyway to be stepping out with the weather changing, like, you know, frosty weather. It yeah. was kind of, I was getting a bit of sleet coming up this morning or a bit kind of that heavy rain, certainly cold, heavy <coughs> rain this morning and frost at night time. So I think the gardens are going to come slowly to a halt very quickly. Very quickly, yeah. Actually, uh, it, I know it's a couple of hours back, but I call in for a cup of coffee um, and into Carb and I, they had said, oh, it was sleeting. Was it still sleeting? They asked yeah. me when I came in and yeah, I said, oh, I didn't notice the sleep, but anyway, yeah. But yeah. it's been a great autumn. It's it has. Terrific I mean, autumn. we can't have any complaints no, whatsoever. we cannot. Um, no, it's been a really, really good autumn and I hope people have used the weather, the, the really good weather for, for planting because I suppose what we've been saying all autumn that the ground conditions were superb for planting, really, really good conditions and autumn plants have actually done very well. And even with the bit of rain we're having at the moment, um, you know, if people have gardening jobs to do, we, we tomorrow's promise cold but dry um, and we'd sneak up probably a couple of other days over this coming week and you know it's really putting that garden to bed now giving the lawn the fine little trim tidying up the garden do any planting that you have to get done get it done yeah I suppose what I have noticed maybe in the last week is that yeah the weather still some leaves on the trees they are going that more dirtier colour rather than the vibrancy the, is, the vibrancy is, is on the way and, it is and there's lots of leaves on the leaves leaf cover on the ground now Plenty of good leaf colour, great opportunity to make your garden compost and leaf mould. Yeah. And, and it is a sense in the next couple of weeks, it's very much that thing of tidying back the garden and, you know, starting pruning back of plants and just really kind of putting that the garden together, planting your spring bulbs, planting fruit, planting hedges, those sort of things that I've been reminding people to do. And uh, I cut my own lawn, uh, hopefully for the last time uh, during the week. So do you think that's it? I hope so. I was, I was <laughs> but I mean, going, just for, for, all, for all of us, that's yeah, not a specific I, no. question for you, Warwick. <laughs> well, I think so. I mean, I was tempted to, to, to wash down the moor and clean it. Yeah. I said, no, nah, maybe I'll Because uh, the reason I ask is uh, I, I did mine the previous week and I'm wondering, should there be one more shot so at well, it or not? Look, if you get a bit of dry weather yeah. in the next two weeks, give it another trim because okay. it is, it's good because it does continue to grow during the winter because we get such a mild winter, it'll always continue to grow. So if you can give it a trim, the other key thing is really to control the moss now at this time of year. So do put on the, the zero and put on the pack on the pathways and driveways because that's going to start to, to knock about. Okay. I had a very interesting week this you week. You had, yeah. We're just after, just after tweeting a photograph actually um, because you did say you were going to visit Oris and Luke Throne and you did say you'd try and bring us back some honey and in fairness to you, you have lived up to your I'm word. Yes, word. you absolutely are. So I'm holding a lovely, okay, I can't wait to taste this, a jar of pure honey from Oris and Luke Throne. A perfect morning for it. Uh, seeing Isn't as it? The, the ballot very boxes apt. have just opened. Um, and it wouldn't uh, be a shame Beautiful presidential. It. Yeah, it's actually actually so pretty uh, in a very simple way I have to say I love their packaging um, that it's almost a shame to open it but I Isn't have to it? be honest we'll be trying it and later on I was I was up I was up with we were doing a piece for mm. Virgin Media on uh, pumpkin carving and all that and they have a lovely pumpkin patch in the OPW which is right beside Oris on Uthron and um the uh, so the gardeners had lots of pumpkins there, but they had some great bee plants as well. The facili was still in flower, and the the echinoceums. They have a lovely, actually, wild flower meadow that they've created on a small scale, but it's beautiful. It's full of flowers, and the gardeners were telling me it's flowering since June of this year, and we're now in October, and it still looks so pretty. And the bees were still feeding on it. So that's what four months of color yep. and 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 bee production. But the lads were telling me the beekeepers in particular were saying, and you can see it in the honey. It's actually very very thick this. 
here. It's a really nearly a syrupy okay. type of honey. So it's, you know, most honeys, uh, the, the Westport honey, which I normally use, is a lighter colour than this. So this is quite dark and it's quite um, syrupy as well. Oh. So it's very thick. It's absolutely delicious. And the beekeepers feel that because of the loss of moisture this year, the loss of rain this year. That's that what added to yeah, the... That the nectar has been thicker this year and, and it's it's um it's So like do we velvet. think the purity of the honey is probably it's even better. a bit greater, yeah. It's better, yeah, and and it's absolutely delicious this year and they're they're absolutely raving about it. So from seventeen hives they have eight hundred pounds of honey collected this year. Wow. And I visited the, the Oris in uh, July, I think it was, of this year, and there were the bees were working on the lime trees. So there's probably a lot of lime flowers. Which interesting enough, um Lime trees are actually narcotic. There's a narcotic. When I was in the Botanic Gardens, and I, and I was there two weeks ago, and I went back just to, it was one of these things I, was, I thought I was dreaming about the two lime trees on the way into the Botanic Gardens. Right. When I was there as a student, the bees used to be asleep under the lime trees. So they were literally on the ground, but buzzing away, but literally on a high Okay. Right. And it was because of the lime flowers. The lime flowers have this narcotic effect okay. that actually put the, the bees to sleep. And, and, and indeed, sometimes it can kill the bees. It's that it can be that toxin. But if they're feeding a lot on lime trees, they actually go to sleep. So it'll be interesting to see as we take this a spoon of this jar of honey, is there any narcotic So in other words, uh, maybe, maybe not, not to be driving the car or anything like well, that no, afterwards. It's not going to be that bad, but, but it certainly has flippant. that effect on bees. It's interesting just to uh, uh, to note that. But yeah, I was in Oris, I got a couple of jars and as gas, the uh, the head beekeeper came down to me and these concealed in his pockets and kind of called me over secretly and said, bring these with secret you. Secret stash, secret yeah. stash. So yeah. I believe it's only the digging trees. They, they, the pots go up to the... Oh, to, to the, uh, didn't realise that so and okay handed out you cannot buy it feel so feeling very special then yeah. this morning and, I have uh, to say so there you are, yeah. go so I was delighted to bring that back to you but lovely. well Thank worth you. the visit um, the gardens are still lovely there in the OPW in the Phoenix Park and um, there's lots of flowers still in colour they have a beautiful vegetable plat- patch as well They're, they were har- harvesting the pumpkins the day I was there and they have, they have actually a, a free pumpkin festival on Monday from 3 o'clock in the OPW in the, Victor- in the Victorian Garden there in the visitor centre for the children um, and, and lots of other things happening so that, so that was interesting and the other thing last night I was uh, yeah this, so you, you haven't just come with honey this no, morning but you have a whole basket of goods I have there. potatoes and onions with me from a great friend of mine Joe Moylet in Island Aidy and Dara Curran in Island Aidy and Joe has been farming and gardening for years but this year he actually grew a lot of his vegetables using seaweed. How interesting. Yeah. So that's as, a, as the compost, is it? Instead or, of or rotten manure, right. instead of any other form of fertiliser, he got a load of seaweed and used the seaweed to grow potatoes and onions and cabbage and turnips and a whole range of... And he was telling me this during the summer months and um, I actually bumped into him last night and he gave me a bucket of potatoes and a bucket of onions. Fabulous. I have to say, they're absolutely... They do look great. They're brilliant. So they're, what kind of potatoes have we got there? This particular variety, he grew a whole range of different varieties, but the one he gave me was uh, were, uh, were uh, roosters. I have to say, they're a fair size. Aren't they? They're yeah. And the crop is enormous. So within a small... All that whole bucket of potatoes has come from one stalk. From one stalk? One stalk. So the seaweed... So just to explain to listeners, it's not a small bucket. No. So, um, so and look, at they're, they're, the seaweed in particular seems to have fed the plants, the vegetables, extremely well. They're of a great size, super quality. The other thing interesting about seaweed, because it contains salt, it helps to keep the slugs. The slugs dislike it. 
So where you have a lot of seaweed in, in the soil or particularly as a mulch, the, the, the slugs won't cross it because the salt burns their body. You, you often hear people going out with the salt cellar uh, at night time mm. and, and putting a shake on the, on the slugs because it literally disintegrates them. So salt has had, or seaweed has had effect when you use it as a fertiliser. Uh, the salt content in, in it helps to keep slugs and snails away from vulnerable plants. And I'm looking at these potatoes and there isn't even a blemish. There's no sign of any slug attack on them. They're absolutely clean. But in particular, Joe was saying to me that the crop this year has been, and it grows the the uh, the veg in the same area every year and the crop this year has been absolutely outstanding. So particularly the potatoes have done really well. And look at these for onions and they are absolutely fantastic. Wowee. And we were chatting, I think, last week. Somebody had a question in about onions rotting. We did, and how to, I suppose, store them over the winter. Yeah. The, the, the moisture was getting to them, I think, exactly. wasn't that it? So now, there's nothing rotting about those ones. No, they're very firm, and you can see how they've been tied up, and they're, they're hanging in a hay shed letting the wind in to dry them before they go into final storage and that's really to the way to treat them. But in particular, it was great to see the uh, effect of the seaweed in particular this year and particularly on the potatoes. They're, they're an absolutely fantastic and did, crop. Did, did Joe, uh, did he dig it just into the ground? Just dug it into the soil. Just right. laid it on the top of the surface and as the planting the potatoes just incorporate the fertiliser or the uh, into seaweed it. into the soil, yeah. So it's full of, of amino acids, yes. it's full of uh, micronutrients and you've got N, P and K in it. And it's also a really good organic matter, helps to break up the soil. So you can see the soil on the potatoes. It's you actually, it's, it's very um, crumbly and mm. crumb structure. So it gives a great structure to the soil as well. So if you can get your hands on some seaweed, anytime from now right through till spring of next year you can store it just throw it into a, a heap or you can even spread it over the top of the soil at this time and start, of year. let it start to decompose it, and it decomposes pretty quickly so something like the kelp is really good um, and remember it's, it's a great organic matter to use in the garden and also for gardens that might suffer a little bit from slugs and snails in particular um, it's a great fertiliser to incorporate into the soil Fantastic. So there you go. So that was that was my week that so far. That was your week. Okay, so uh, busy week, poor Busy week, yes. yeah. And, uh, but very enjoyable. Very enjoyable. Okay, great stuff. So we are going to take some questions. We're going to take a break, first of all. Okay. Right, Porik, um, as, as we said, we are kind of tidying up things on in the gardening front today. We sure are. And uh, the questions, I suppose, really do reflect that as well. Okay. So we're going to start off with a question from Coach. Uh, good morning. Yes, she says, I'm going to miss the Saturday mornings. But before things come to a halt, uh, she had a great week cleaning up her patch to find a few pots under bushes with daffodil bulbs with roots up to six inches long and very wet. So she's wondering, is it okay to give them a good haircut and replant? And wants to say thanks for your company. Agus Gomeramij, Bio Aranam Shahrish. Well, hopefully so, Coach. Absolutely, Karamagat for the Kupla Fakal. Yeah, and so so Coach is describing exactly how daffodils are growing in the ground now at this time of year. So even though we don't think about daffodils till next February, March, or April, they're actually rooting away. So if you're to dig up your typical daffodil bunch. There's lots of white roots on them at the moment. So coach can simply, um, you can take them out of the pots if you wish and plant them into the garden soil where they're to flower next year. Or you can trim off the roots that won't damage them in any way. Or you can move them on into bigger pots, whatever. So they're obviously there since tucked away probably after they went out of flower 
back in March and, and they've been there, there all summer dormant and they've just kicked back into growth now. Uh, so that's totally natural. So look, at, I would either plant them out into the garden soil, repot them into bigger pots or just tidy up the roots and leave them, maybe put an okay. extra bit of compost with them. They'll be perfectly fine out of doors. And that's the great thing about spring flowering bulbs, that you can literally put them into pots, leave them outside. And then in the spring where you want to add a little splash of spring colour as if it was there forever, you can simply just pot them, take them out of the pots and whack them into the ground and they grow oh. easily. So, the, so bulbs are very, very suitable for putting in containers, window boxes, ordinary pots at this time of year and you can literally just leave them out under a hedge or anywhere at all in the garden as long as they're not being blown about sure. too much. But the wind and the frost and the rain will have no effect on them okay. whatsoever. So caution, just tidy them up. Tidy them up. Tidy them up, replant or put them into bigger pots or uh, or they'll be perfectly fine in the pots that they're in with a view to planting them then in February or March into the final position. Okay, great. Now, lots of questions about lawn cutting and I know we, we've alluded to already. So a yep. uh, listener has cut their lawn for the last time this week. Lots of moss. Do they put on a feed now to feed and strengthen the grass or a moss killer in March or how do they go about that? Okay. So, so I suppose, yeah, we're looking at the boss now and uh, what's the best way to look at, at it? Is, it's beginning to, to, to creep back uh, at the moment. The, the key thing with moss to remember is that it starts to grow at this time of year. Mm-hmm. So if you leave it till March, I always use the analogy that it's like pulling a weed in February or pulling that same weed in July. If you nip it in the bud in, in February, it doesn't become a problem. And the same applies with lawn moss. If you treat it at this time of year, you're stopping it beginning. You're stopping it in that kind of early growth stage and it won't be a problem then coming into the spring of next year. So the listener has cut the lawn, which is great. The second thing is to p- apply the zero and that can be applied anytime over the next week or 10 days. Ideally, you want about an hour of dry weather. So you mix the zero in a watering can or sprayer, apply it to the entire lawn area and that will control the moss overnight and then you apply the fertilizer the autumn lawn feed so they can be done those jobs can be done on the same day if you wish mm-hmm. or you can leave a couple of days between but do the zero first that's the key thing um, so my advice really is get, get yourself some zero apply it over the area and then feed with an autumn something like the Osmo feed or a slow release fertilizer that will green the lawn without forcing any growth for the winter and if there are any broadleaf weeds you can apply a treatment as well for those at this time of year. So if you've got clover or plantain or daisies in the lawn and you want to get rid of them, you can actually treat them in the autumn as well. I even saw some dandelions last week. Yeah, well, dandelions are good for the bees. Always remember that. Okay. No, the, the bee theme because you'd be shot if the, the local beekeeper hears you. Yeah, you're going okay. To kill no, the I didn't do anything. Don't worry. But dandelion is a great form of pollen in early springtime. It's yeah. one of the first. I plants. suppose it's just with the fact that it was this time of the year is what I was uh, observing I, well, rather than yes. if you if rather one than must, being annoyed with a dandelion in the garden. If one must get rid of them, yeah. this is the time of year to do it because obviously they're out of flower. But yeah, you can use a, a lawn weed killer control if you've got weeds that you want to to uh, control. This is actually quite a good time of year. But the main the main thing I keep emphasising is to control lawn moss in the autumn, early winter. Don't be leaving it to become a problem next spring. Excellent. Now, somebody sowed a lawn 10 days ago, but they didn't put any fertiliser in with it. And they're wondering now, would it be OK? Well, it's going to be fine. But ideally, the step, the right process is to put in, put in the fertiliser before you put on the seed. Um, now, it's only 10 days sown. So the listener, if they wish, they can actually add some fertilizer and the one I would use is one called Park and Fairway. 
So it's a very uh, slow, it's a slow release lawn fertilizer. There's no weed killer, there's no moss killer in it. It's a straight feed. So it's ideal for new lawns. Ideally, it's put on just before you put on the seed. But having said that, 10 days, the grass won't have germinated just yet. So the listener, and particularly with a bit of rain that's promised this week, if you put it on today, just shake it on lightly right across the lawn. The bit of rain and moisture will, will carry it in because ideally you, you want the fertilizer there when the grass germinates to help to thicken it. The other thing I would advise, obviously it's sown now, so it's going to germinate, say, in the next two weeks. Over Christmas, you might get a dry period or in early January. If you get a couple of dry days, then you can put the lawnmower across that new lawn because it needs to be trimmed. As soon as it comes to about inch or inch and a half, the top needs to be taken off the lawn to get it to tiller and to fill out. So the earlier you can do that, the better. So keep an eye on the weather, late November, December, January. If you get a couple of dry days, go out with the lawnmower, put on the grass box and just trim the top of the lawn. And you might get a second trim in before we we get into springtime and that'll help to thicken and fill in the, the, the gaps. Otherwise, the weeds will call in those areas, yeah. Okay, lovely. Now, uh, also, just I'm going to stay with Moss for a second because we just have a couple of questions in relation to different surfaces and different different locations and what have you. So let's look at uh, Moss Between Roses. Wondering, what can I put on my roses? There's moss gathering in there. They're all along the edge of my lawn. Uh, Catherine says, thanks for the help during the year. Okay, well, what Catherine can use, she can use actually the zero that we mentioned for the lawn. You can use that on, on roses as well and we, I had a question from Sean in Tume a couple of weeks back he had really really old roses mm. uh, Queen Elizabeth memory serves me right 20 year old bushes that were full of moss and again if you just apply the zero onto it, it won't my advice was really to prune the roses back tidy them up mm. and then apply the zero and that will control, control. any moss that's yeah. there it will also control the moss in your lawn as well and it's very safe to use on plants okay great and again this is the time of year to treat, treat it. it because the moss on plants even though it's not parasitic, it's not doing any physical damage to the plants, it hibernates a lot of pests in particular and it can, it can impede some of the buds as well. So it is no harm to get rid of it. And if you've, if you've got um, moss, say, on apple trees or pear trees, you often find that in the, again, you can put on the zero onto the bark and it won't, won't, affect. It won't damage them. Yeah. It, it'll basically kill the moss overnight. Now I've moss on my gravel. (laughs) (laughs) I hear a song in my head. Sorry, Uh, moss on my um, that and also around on roof slates. Can I use on roof slates? Yeah, um, Moscow. I think it is. They're inquiring about Moscow. You can use Moscow. Yeah, Moscow is 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 one of the old proprietary products for um, for moss control on slates and tiles and hard surface areas. The one I use is one called Pack P A C. Uh, it's very effective. It takes about six days to work. You need a dry day to apply it, but it's particularly good for paving slabs, gravel beds, slates, tiles, walls, any hard surface area. You'll find the pack very, very effective. And again, like the lawn, now is the time to nip it in the bud. Now, uh, wondering about a mix of hedging that would be suitable to mix in the in with a white thor- hawthorn hedge. I beg your pardon. Yeah, white thorn and hawthorn. Yeah, hawthorn. Yeah, same, uh, same thing. Thank yeah. you. Uh, maybe something in colour. The existing hawthorn hedge, which is old, has failed in places which we find hard to understand. Yeah, well, first of all, anything that's dead, obviously remove it, take that, prune that out. The, mm-hmm. the thing with hawthorn and whitethorn is it can be layered, so you can actually bend down branches. Um, and, and So what you do basically is cut the branch by 50%, you leave the bark on one side and some of the wood, and you literally bend that branch down, and that kind of creates this layering effect to rebuild the hedge, mm-hmm. if you wish. So you can, you can actually do that to help to fill the gaps. But remember, you can also plant a mixed 
flowering hedge. So with the white thorn, which flowers in April, you could put things in like uh, gelder roses, which are lovely. It's the viburnum. It flowers. It buries. It's a great bee plant, a really nice plant. So that's the gelder rose. You and I were chatting about the dog roses last yes. week, the Rosa canina and Rosa rugosa, which are the thorny, really thorny roses that produce the flowers in the summertime. So remember that the white thorn is going to look lovely in April and May, but the roses will flower then from June right through till October. Oh, so you'd have a really nice contrast at different times. Exactly. Mm. And you could also, you'll also have the hips, the lovely berries then in the wintertime from the flowering roses. You could use a great plant, which I saw planted around uh, close to Westport House, the dog, the, the dogwoods which have lovely red stems at this time of year. So it's the Cornus, Cornus family, the dogwoods. You get them in many different varieties, red stems, yellow stems and green stem. But they're great for injecting some winter colour. So some of the varieties have got variegated foliage. Mm -hmm. So they're Cornus, dogwoods, variegated leaves and then red stems through the winter. Um, So again, adding colour at a different time of the year. You could use honeysuckle for scent and colour, holly for some winter colour and evergreen, obviously, privet, which again flowers in summertime, late spring, early summer. Again, another great bee plant, the privet. And again, it's evergreen as well. You could add some beech in, crab apple, hazel, dogwoods, flowering red currant, which is a green, a great plant in springtime. It flowers the same time as the white thorn, but it's got a lovely red. They're like fuchsia flowers. Very, very simple plant to grow. It's in the ribase. It's in the um, the uh, red currant family. It's a ribase. Um, for Scythii, which has beautiful yellow flowers in springtime. Mm. So there are a whole myriad of plants and they, it actually looks really well if you plant a mixture. Generally speaking, we advise about six different varieties when you're doing a wildflower uh, or a, raw, a wildlife hedge. So hawthorn, blackthorn, sea buckthorn, and any of the plants that I mentioned there, the gelder rose, the, the dog roses, the beech, the dogwoods, they're all suitable hazel. Some nuts in the wintertime would be lovely. Okay, wow. So there's a huge there's choice. There's a huge choice. Mm. Both evergreen and deciduous plants, both flowering, some with stem colour, some with leaf colour. So there's a whole myriad. And you can literally just chop that and trim it as one overall hedge with a whole myriad of different plants in it. Willow would do well as well. It should be quite vigorous. Um, so there's lots that the listener could do and November is the time for planting all of those if you pop into your local garden centre and ask them for some bare-rooted uh, kind of wildlife stroke um, meadow uh, hedgerow that type that, of a, that you know, good mixture of different plants that both flower and fruit they'll give you various different plants Okay, great stuff Somebody's wondering about snails under a sink I don't know if that really uh, comes under the remit <laughs> of the, gardening. the gardening programme Well, snails, are, snails and slugs will, will start to hibernate at this time yeah. of year and it's actually a time of year where it's a good idea to control them because you'll stop them breeding over the, the winter and spring period so you know, a slug control in the garden in general in the autumn is actually quite a good idea. Now, you use the proprietary methods. Um, snails, because of their nature, can be easier to remove, particularly from areas like uh, uh, sinks and, and cubby, cubby holes and so on. Um, but they're just using that space for the winter. They're beginning okay. to hibernate to they, a certain they, degree. They must be happy. There must be something in there that be, yeah, is the enabling their environment, environment perhaps. Exactly. Yeah. So look a little might, further. Yeah. So, so, yeah, look, they can be physically removed or you can use some of these slug treatments uh, to control them. But it is a good idea in the in the garden in general. If you've got vulnerable plants, particularly things like lupins or herbaceous plants, a little bit of slug control at this time of year pays 
coming into the spring of next year. Now, I potted some hyacinth bulbs and left them outside since September. Great. Can September, I now bring yeah. them indoors to hopefully flower for Christmas? Yes, you can. Now, it depends on September. They generally need about six weeks out of doors. So where are we now? We're, we're kind of the end we're of We're kind of, yeah, well, we if, it was, if it was even early, so it was early mid, to mid. It was early to mid, exactly. Now, you'll know if they're ready because if you just if you just look at the bottom of the pot, you, see, you should see lots of white roots forming right at the base, little buds starting at the top of the compost. So you can even just maybe knock one out of the pot just to make sure that there's plenty of root development on the hyacinths because that's the reason we leave them out for the six-week period. They get this kind of chilling effect outside and that initiates the roots, a bit like Koch's uh, daffodils. daffodils. Same principle. And then once you've got a nice root ball on the hyacinth, the pot of hyacinths, bring them inside. Now, don't bring them into a very warm location because it's still a long way to Christmas. So you need somewhere cool, I'd possibly leave them out another week or two outside. Where are we now? Yeah, so bring them in around the middle of November is time enough to have them flowering for Christmas. If you bring them in too early, they're obviously going to kick into flower. They're going to think it's springtime. So you'll have nice hyacinths, but you'll have them before Christmas. You will. Or maybe if you have a couple of pots, stage it. Bring some in now into a warm area, get them flushed because you don't want them all together because they really are sweetly scented and uh, too many of them. They can, can be a bit overpowering if there's a lot. So one or, one or two. So maybe take them in in stages and uh, but there's still plenty of time yet to get them to flower for Christmas. So it's a, And they're a lovely gift Christmas time. I always think they're great for the children to pot up, something to give away at yeah. Christmas time. And within, it's only September and already they've initiated the roots, they're producing new buds and within a couple of weeks they're going to be in flower. So for children they get that gratification very, very quickly they see the whole. And still not late to plant hyacinths. They may flower more January for you but you can okay. still plant them at this time of year. Now from hyacinths to arum lilies I got an arum lily in a pot which has produced loads of growth but no flowers this year so I'm wondering should I split it up? Um, well arum lilies actually weren't brilliant this year and that's because of the, the heat. Uh, yeah. They actually they're, they're a plant that are, is often planted in ponds. So arum lilies will grow with their feet in water. They love water. And that's why they do so well in the west of Ireland, normally. But this year, in lots of gardens, uh, people have said to me, oh, my arm lilies didn't grow this year. They they produce their leaves, but very, very little flower. So that's very typical this year. So that's really just down to the very dry year we've had. um, And the failed flower. There's nothing wrong with the plants. They'll they'll die back now for the winter and regrow in the spring again and and be, uh, you know, very healthy. But if the listener wants to divide them, this this is the time of year for dividing many plants, things like astilbes, things like delphiniums, asters, sedums, all those herbaceous cottage garden plants, arum lilies being one of those, you can literally just dig them up with a sharp spade, cut them into two or three pieces and replant them back in your garden. Rhubarb, for example, it's died back at this stage, Mm -hmm. so now is the time to dig it up and make three or four or five pieces of it. So if there's any splitting or division to be done, then October's a really, really good time to do that. And the soil conditions are still not too wet for replanting those pieces in the garden. So if the listener wants to divide them up 100%, split them up. Did they say it's still in a pot? Uh, I think it is. Yeah, Uh, so if it's in a pot... Let me just double check that If it's in a pot, it'll be even easier. I mean, take it out of its pot, you know, a good sharp uh, spade, divide it up into a couple of pieces and, and transplant it. And maybe prune back a little bit of the top foliage as well with a shears. Just trim it back and tidy it up. Yeah, it so, is in a pot. Yeah, well then, just knock it out of the pot, divide it into two or three pieces and plant it out into the garden soil. If you have a bit of seaweed, put it down put with it. it. Would it work? Is or it any, lot, yeah. any organic matter. They are hungry and that helps to retain the moisture in the, winter, in the summertime as well. So they like, they're plants that like their feet moist. 
So if it, in a dry summer like this year, they have a, they struggle. They, they struggled. Yeah, and that's hostas would have struggled this year as well. Certain plants that like moisture have actually not done as well this summer, uh, but. That's, that's just the way it goes. Swings and roundabouts. Yeah, it sure is. Good mix of questions there. We and sure I have do. to say, I applaud uh, many <laughs> listeners because they're getting very organised. It's not questions for winter, it's questions for spring pork. So yeah, I, yeah, I think, I know that's um, advice that you give all the time, but obviously lots of people taking it on Good. board. Right, we're going to talk about ploughing up a garden and getting it ready. So potatoes and other kinds of vegetables, including cabbage plants for next March. Um, so we were wondering... What do we do in that instance? Yeah, is well, it a good at, idea now to do that? Yeah, well, it, it is. And, and um, traditionally, autumn has always been the time for kind of ploughing up or digging over the soil and leaving it fairly rough so that the, the frost and the rain and the misery of winter can break down the soil again. Um, so great time of year. Any time over the next kind of month or six weeks, the, the listener could to rotivate or plough the soil or dig it over. Um, it's a great time of year to incorporate any organic matter as well. If you've got some compost or uh, seaweed or, or mushroom compost, something like that, to dig it into the soil as well in preparation for, for the spring of next year. So autumn is always an excellent time. Um, the, other, the other kind of trend at the moment is more around the, the lazy bed uh, technique, which is not digging the soil over and just putting a mulch of seaweed or compost or mm-hmm. fertilizer on the top of the surface of the ground. And the theory there is that you're not breaking up the natural drainage that, that, that has been created by the worms over the summer period. So, so some people like the lazy bed technique. Mm. And some people like to physically to, dig the soil and incorporate and lots of organic matter. And, and certainly when I was in the Botanic Gardens as a student, it was one of the dreaded jobs. And was it, was it the latter rather than the former? So dig rather than dig, let the snails do dig it. and adding in manure. And we spent the whole winter yeah. uh, digging the dahlia plots and the, and the vegetable gardens and all of that. Um, so that was the traditional method of adding in organic matter yeah. and digging over the soils in the autumn and leaving the soil relatively rough so that the frost would break it down. Then you just rake it over in the spring and sow your plants. So it depends how people are. If you want a bit of physical activity, the digging over is... Well, that's is, it. It does yeah. use up a few calories it too. It sure does. Know? It sure does. I have boxed trees in pots about four to five years old. They've gone all brown. What should I do? Well, I, it sounds to me it could be that the plants have, have just failed completely at this stage. Like boxwood are slow growing in pots and containers. Um, they can get a little bit neglected. They can get dry at times and you get this browning on the plants. So depending on how, how bad the browning is if the branches are breaking away if there's no green physically green leaves or any kind of green stems then it sounds to me that the plants may have suffered um badly um, i would i would take them out of the pots and plant them into the garden soil next spring you'll see if there's any new growth coming on them in march and april um and if there is you can cut back the dead wood to that and, and start them off again but pot, boxwood you know they're fine in pots for a couple of years but after that they tend to outgrow the containers and obviously in a summer like we've had they need plenty of water and plenty of care and, and sometimes they suffer if they don't get that so look at uh, transplant them move them out into the garden soil somewhere put something else in those pots for the winter maybe something more short term things like cyclamen or violas or pansies or winter heathers will give you lovely colour right through the winter you could plant some spring bulbs as well and then replant those pots next summer again with some begonias or geraniums for a bit of colour so you know pots tend to suit that very well so I would I would transplant them out into the garden soil see what happens next spring and if you see new growth next March and April prune back the boxwood to that new growth and you'll, you'll bring them back again Now um 
I, I'm just going to get the person with the Ubis says we're not 100% sure on the spelling of that so if you'd have a photograph that you could send us in via WhatsApp it'd be much better that'd be super anyway uh, we'll come back to that if we can okay. now um, eh, sorry you're wondering about roses and if they can be cut back. They got burnt off with the wind and salt water and hydrangeas are now are only have brown stems. So what to do there? Right. Well, so, um, and I was chatting about this a couple of weeks ago. I remember the, the wind that we had. Uh, who was it? Not Graham. What was his Ali. name? Ali. Ali or one of those. Ali was the one I think that, that burnt uh, everything. We didn't think was going to be too bad and it was worse than Ophelia. Yeah. So a lot of, a lot of uh, plants suffered during that period, particularly roses and, and hedges in particular, and they all went brown. If they're brown, there's new, no new growth, then my advice is to tie them back. Now, roses, I would only shorten them back by about 50%. So if they're three feet high, cut them back by about 18 inches and leave about a foot and a half then out of the ground, which you'll prune then later in springtime. So really just tidy them up now for the winter period to stop them with the wind rock happening the, the wind getting them and rocking them about with your hydrangeas depending on the varieties if it's the paniculata varieties like Annabelle or, or um, Phantom or Bobo they can be pruned at this time of year if they're the traditional hydrangeas with the big heads of flower the, the mop head then they should be left alone until next spring um, so leave those alone. They're naked anyway. The leaves have gone off them, so they're perfectly fine. And you prune those then in early March. Okay. Somebody wondering why their carrots might have split this year. Carrots will split for two reasons. First, if you've got very stony ground, they'll split. Or if you use organic, fresh organic matter. So if you're using uh, farmer manure or compost or fertilizer that's relatively fresh, they, it, it burns the, the top of the root and it get the, the, the plants end up forking. So it's generally either stony ground or where you're using fertiliser that's just too fresh. Carrots need a... The seaweed fertiliser is great, actually, for carrots. Um, or older fertiliser is generally used. Or ideally, you should plant carrots in ground that you might have grown potatoes in last year. So you feed, feed the potatoes really heavily and then you clean off the soil, you sow the carrots into that soil next year so you're not adding any additional fertiliser and there's enough there from the remnants of the potatoes to, to, um, to feed the carrots. So... It's stony ground or, or um, too rich manure. Okay. We call it forking. It goes forking. Okay. So it's bad. Also this year, the ground got quite dry, you know, and if anything impedes the sort of growth of the carrots, you can get forking. It just triggers them to be... They're trying to struggle to... Exactly. To, to, Any to, sort of to, struggling. To survive as yeah. such. Yeah, because the, the, the fresh manure literally just burns the top of the, the carrot. It's like pruning the top of it mm. and then it, it actually reforks again or reshoots again. And the stone is the stony ground will have the same effect. But also if it, the ground gets excessively dry and gets very hard and the, the, the carrot cannot continue to, to grow it will fork as well. Now, can I put out weed killer in the next few days, Tommy is wondering, and also he's wondering about flowers for graves for the winter months. Okay, so flowers for graves, you're looking for things that are going to be hardy and take a little bit of wind. Um, so plants like the winter heathers are absolutely brilliant and they give great colour from now right through till April of next year. And you can underplant those then with some spring bulbs like the Jetfire daffodils or February gold which only grow four to six inches in height they're nice and short and and very colorful and work really well with things like winter heathers and give that extra splash of color then in the springtime you could also plant things like winter pansies violas polyanthus or primulus um, so any of the kind of spring low growing you're looking for something hardy low growing that will flower through the winter and spring of next year a nice small shrub is a plant called skimia reversiana which has got lovely red berries at this time of year but only grows about 12 inches in height and stays quite low and, and very compact. So 
pop into your local garden centre. There's lots of really good plants you can put in at this time of year that'll give you that kind of autumn winter theme um, and then underplant with some spring bulbs and that's a nice surprise then in maybe dwarf tulips or dwarf daffodils or snowdrops or crocuses just to give an extra splash of colour in the springtime. In relation to the weed killer, you can still apply weed killers. Obviously you need a dry, calm day. Weed growth, there's lots of, of new weed growth popping up again just due to the mild weather we've had for the last couple of weeks. So if Tommy needs to go out and use a bit of Weed Free 360 or one of the proprietary weed killers obviously make sure you select a weed killer for the purpose, get a bit of advice on it but if we get a bit of dry weather then yes you can. Autumn is a good time to control weeds and, and again it's all that whole thing of prevention. Even get out with the garden hoe yeah. and, and, and hoe off some of the beds and tidy them up because there's lots of young weeds two or three inches high that have germinated in the last fortnight popping Popping up. up. Now, uh, tell Pork we've been using seaweed for our vegetable garden in Enniscrown for over 40 years. There you go. Fantastic. There you go. And right on their doorstep. Right on their doorstep. You have no excuses, I suppose, (laughs) when you were in Enniscrown. Anyway, good to hear. Thank you for that. My amaryllis has long green leaves. When should I cut them back? One has flowered a month ago, but it didn't have the leaves first. Well, and that can happen sometimes. So the amaryllis bulb is the is it, it looks like a turnip when you buy it, like a mini turnip, and um, but it produces exquisite flowers. Then normally about six or eight weeks after planting up, um, sometimes you'll get the flower bud to be initiated because, like any bulb, the amaryllis has already got the flower embryo formed within the centre of the bulb. So all it needs is a bit of moisture and heat to let it grow. Um, the trick with them is allow them to flower and then. Let them grow them on for about a month, four to five weeks, water them, feed them, build the bulb up and then stop and let the bulb completely die back. So it sounds like it's, it's at that stage now. It has finished flowering. The leaves have elongated and got long. So now is the time to actually stop watering it. Give it a rest period for about two months. Mm. So next February, plant that bulb back up again and get it back into growth again and you get lovely flowers during the summer months. So they need that rest period like all bulbs. So... Uh, six to eight weeks after flowering, let it die back completely and store the bulb for the for the winter period and then repot next February and it'll be even better, bigger and better bigger next year. Now, is it a good time to take up my hostas and split them? Yes. I was thinking of putting them in large pots for next year as I can't keep the snails from eating them even though I keep putting down slug pellets. Any advice, asks Bridie. Okay, well, the thing with, um, so to answer your question, Bridie, this is a perfect time for digging them up out of the garden soil um, and hostas will do well in large pots. Remember, they do like plenty of moisture in the summertime. Now, having them in pots doesn't necessarily mean you won't have slugs because they'll reach up and uh, to get them. One thing you can put around them is some copper, copper wire, or you can buy a little copper it's like sellotape, but it's yeah, actually a roll it's of a copper. It's a ring that kind of you can put Correct. around your pot. And, and uh, slugs will not cross copper because they get electrocuted. Okay. So they get a shock from their body once they touch anything that has copper in it. So a copper wire, you can get a copper tape, which you literally just put around the rim of the pot mm. and the slugs will go as up, up to the copper, but copper it, that's it. it won't cross it. And that's it. So, so that can be used, um, but hostas, and it's a great time of year, that's the point I was making, that for splitting, digging rhubarb or any of those herbaceous border plants that die back naturally, that produce these, like hostas, they produce a big clump. This is the perfect time to dig them out of the soil, get a sharp spade, cut them into five or six pieces, replant them into the garden soil if you wish, or put them into pots and containers. And the great thing about having them in pots is then you can plant them next spring, Wherever you want to add, fill up a bit of colour, you might have a couple of gaps in the garden, pop them in. What you often find with, with hostas is that the slugs do the damage under the soil or as the shoots are coming through the soil. 
and then as the leaf unfurls, oh, unf- yeah. then you see the holes in you. You think they've been feeding the night before, but the damage can often be done weeks beforehand. So he, that's my advice, really, with in controlling the slugs at this time of year, right? And doing a little bit of slug control, little and often is the secret, rather than a big dollop of pellets. Small amount on a regular basis is all that, that you need. And all you're doing is keeping the whole thing maintained. And keeping them at bay. Exactly, rather than it being a big problem. Okay. But That's but interesting the about the holes, so, because I, I suppose most people, and myself included, you, you'd imagine they kind of, yeah, that they eat them overnight, overnight and they get no, up the next morning they attack and there we them, go. Yeah, and it often happens with daffodils as well. Certain plants, they act, because many of the slugs are actually in the soil. And as the plant is naturally enough, the, the shoots are so succulent the young shoots and they feed on those first and you see the damage then weeks later as the leaf unfolds uh, but the damage is already done. So little and often is my advice hostas do very well in pots as long as you put them into big pots and you're prepared to wash them during the summer months. Now a couple more before we finish up Porik. Um Somebody wondering can they grow black and white thorn from seed? Uh, yes you can So, and that's the way they're propagated and you can collect the seed this time of year Bit of a long process though is it? It is It can take up to two years for the seeds of white thorn and black thorn uh, to um, to germinate and they need cold winter so if you were to sow a hundred berries so what you do is you collect the berries at this time of year you crush them up you sow them into the soil uh, if you were to put a hundred berries into the ground next spring you might get 20 plants to germinate okay. the following spring you'll get the, the remaining to germinate. So um, it is a slow process, but it can certainly be done and that's the way to propagate both white thorn. And now, they're cheap to buy in the in November. If you go to your local garden centre in November, white thorn and black thorn are a relatively inexpensive plant to buy. You're, you know, you're talking about cents rather than, you know, euros type of thing. So they're, mm. they're relatively cheap to buy. To buy a hundred of them wouldn't cost a whole lot. Um, but if you go, then they propagate from berries as most plants do at this time of year. But it is a slow process. Is it okay to cut blueberry bush back now and can I take clippings from it? Yeah, you can try cuttings with them. Um, they, they tend to be hard to root from cuttings. Sometimes you can get a little sucker that's growing. One of the stems might, may have rooted um, and, and you can take a piece of that. But in terms of pruning them back, yes, this is the time. Tidy them back now. Prune them maybe six to eight inches off the top of the plants. You're really just tidying them back. Don't do any severe pruning with them. And um, that's all you need to do next spring. Then give them a, an acid feed and off they go again for another year. What can I plant in a flower bed in shade next to an old tank? An old tank. <laughs> so, well, in shade, the plants that like shade, what we talked about, hostas, yes. and they're brilliant in shade, particularly if it's... If, as I don't long know, as do you want to cover the old t- t- tank with flowers now or not? Okay, well, if they want something taller... Mm, they're, do you know that would uh, mask it or something? Well, whatever. here's yeah. a great plant. There's a plant called, and I think, I think we talked about it last week, was the variegated... Um, Spotted laurel, Cuba japonica. That's an evergreen shrub. It'll grow six feet in height. It's got lovely flowers in the springtime. Great berries at this time of year that the birds dislike. And the leaves are variegated. They're bright uh, yellow and green. It makes a good sturdy plant. If you were to plant four or five of those in front of the oil tank, it would completely hide it. And they can be trimmed like a hedge if you winch, want, mm-hmm. or you can just plant them as... Um, plant them just as, as random plants and just let them fill in together. Another great plant is a spider's web, Fatsia japonica spider's web, which has got lovely variegated foliage and does really well. Hydrangeas will tolerate some shade, depending on the varieties, yeah. but hydrangeas tend to do well in shade. So they're kind of taller plants that would give you, help to hide and cascade the, um, the uh, tank. But for me, I think the spotted laurel would be one of the best 
to, if you want to actually just screen it off and hide it off, that will give you full colour and um, still add a lot of colour in the garden because you've got the berries, you've got the flowers and you've got the variegated leaves yeah. and it retains the leaf 12 months of the year okay. and can be trimmed. And can be trimmed. Uh, I have a silver birch. It's very tall and leggy. Should I trim or the top of it or will it fill out without trimming? No, trim the top if you can. And, and really, my advice is when you're planting young trees like cherries or silver birch or any of those, if you take the top and the, and the side branch, if you prune those back, you'll end up with a fatter, fuller, denser uh, plant because mm. in time it's hard to get up to the tree to reach up to it so it's ideally done as the tree is planted or when it's quite young the other thing with silver birch they should have a nice clean stem so take off some of the lower branches so if they're branches say a foot from ground level or two feet from gr- ground level I normally prune them up to about five feet give them a nice clean stem of five feet because you can see the bark you can see it peeling you can see the colour and then prune the top of the head of the tree to help it to thicken out and produce a nice full oh, head no. for you okay and f- I'm probably going to end on this. I know we probably got, don't have an answer on this. Um, how does one stop badgers from digging the lawn? Well, badgers are They're a, protected, a protected species. Are they? That's yeah. my understanding. Um, look, at the only way to, to, to uh, exclude them is to net them out and you need to bury the net or uh, wire, you know, at least a mm. foot or, or 18 inches under the soil to actually physically. There's no proprietary product that you can spray on your lawn that's going to distract them. Okay, they're digging for the worms and the slugs. Yeah, that's that's what might, they're at. That might be more of a wildlife program or a, pre, yeah, uh, a question, question than yeah, gardening. Yeah. Well, but a physical barrier yeah. is really, I think, the only solution yeah. for them because um, otherwise you're, you know, there's no, there's no treatment, there's no spray, yeah. there's and, no magic. And, and you can't do a whole lot because they are protected. Exactly. I'm afraid we're going to have to pause on that point, right. Warwick. Thank well, I'm you. I'm going to enjoy my so Saturdays much, yes. off and, and, and yeah. do a bit of gardening myself. Okay. And be, we'll be back um, again then next March again to do it all over again. Okay. <laughs> and it'll be with us before we even know. And that's for sure. Anyway, enjoy the a, honey. It's, it's been a great. I will indeed. I'm looking forward to a bit of toast and honey a little bit later. Uh, thanks to Porik. Thanks to everybody for listening and all of the questions. And uh, well, as Porik says, we'll do it again come 2019. That's my lot as well for this morning. I'm back as normal. So it's uh, three hours of Saturday morning breakfast from next Saturday onwards. Stand by, Michael Neary coming your way next until next Saturday. Good morning to you.